the Pittsburgh Oddcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Pittsburgh Oddcast. My name is Andrew Lindbergh. I'm the producer of the program. And with me is the man himself, Mr. Odd, John Schalkowski. Hello. What do you know about famous murders in Pittsburgh history? I don't know a lot about that. So, <laughs> not many people do. And uh, the reason I'm not doing this for Halloween is because uh, some of these tales are gruesome and are not necessarily uh, pleasant to talk about. Yeah, I mean, these are real people that were, yeah. lives were taken. Because... Yeah, absolutely. And and, that, and that's the exact reason why we're going to talk about them. It's because if we don't, and if you don't know that this, these things happen or these events happen, their murders almost go in vain. Some of these tales go back hundreds of years, and they've been forgotten. Uh, in fact, there's a very famous one that takes place right near my neighborhood where I grew up, and I had no idea this happened until... I was 30-something years old, you know, that, that something happened in this one home, which we'll, we'll get into. But, you know, it, it's important to remember the dead. In fact, in my family tree on uh, my grandmother's line, it's the, her last maiden name was Hanford. And it goes back to this guy named Sir John Hanford who lived in England. And there's a, a castle there called Woolas Hall. It's still a family castle. It's still within the family, but we're so, there's so many people that were descended from the same man that there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ancestors so I'm, I'm no claim to it whatsoever it's not your castle not my castle so anyways on the wall above the door my family motto memoir novosmo which means remember the dead well yeah. you said it famously that you experienced two deaths yeah when you actually die and the last time somebody says your name that's right yeah you know, so uh the last time it speaks your name um you know, if we don't talk about like your family trees or your or these stories of these tales of all these different people who were murdered and, uh, and what happened to them and what the story was, is um, they might as well have never been around in the first place. Uh, some of these uh, seem mythical, seem like making it up even, you know, when you start talking about some of these more bizarre ones. Uh, but when to understand that these, this was a real person, these really happened, it was a tragedy and they were meant to be forgotten. So some of these people had no family at all. And just talking about them at least makes their life, mean, you know, give them some sort of meaning. Um, even if it's 80 years too late, uh, you know, at least we're mentioning them. Well, we're going to focus on four big yeah. ones, right? Yeah, so four big ones. So starting with Jack the Ripper. The English guy. Right. Or was he? Was he Jack the Yinzer? Jack the Yinzer. <laughs> the murders committed by the notorious serial killer Jack the Ripper, right, in the fall of 1888 are still to this day, regarded as one of the most violent and well-known crimes ever carried out by a lone individual in modern-day history. Uh, the fact that the police failed to catch the killer made it the ultimate unsolved crime. And the identity of the Ripper has never and never been known. And it's been the subject of debate ever since it happened. Yeah, something just came out a year or two ago that they had, pretty, they had a pretty good idea this right. was the person, but they can't say definitively. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, one of these people uh, who happened, who authorities in London actually arrested and accused of committing the crimes, better known as Jack the Ripper, was an American doctor named Francis Tumblety. Francis Tumblety, for some reason, lived here in Pittsburgh in 1867. Uh, he lived there for a few years. Uh, he set up shop on Liberty Avenue. <clears throat> and some of the stories that have been circulated around uh, with this guy, even of his time here in Pittsburgh, so he used to like to have the, to throw dinner parties at his apartment, 
And uh, during the dinner parties, he would bring out a collection of preserved human parts that he would keep in jars that he used to say were from women of all classes. He made a note to say this to people. <laughs> um, Meaning prostitutes. Of all classes. Yeah, so uh, now some ripperologists, okay, who are the people who study Jack the Ripper. In fact, there's other, there's even a podcast that does nothing but Jack the Ripper every day, every time. You know, it's all Jack the Ripper. Uh, this guy has became the prime suspect because he happened to be in London during the time of the murders. Okay, he was rumored to have been the Beatty Street lodger, who was the man who lived nearby, who they thought they could have actually committed the crimes. Um, he was known to use a number of aliases already. He was already pre-known to the police here in Pittsburgh and other cities that he traveled through, including London. Uh, he had anatomical knowledge. He had a known hatred for women. His wife worked as a prostitute while married to him. <laughs> okay. Um, was he aware of that? Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah. Um, Scotland Yard contacted the New York police for copies of his handwriting after one of the deaths and because of the letters uh, that Jack the Ripper sent to the police there. And the handwriting matches. So now the University of Pittsburgh looked back into this in the 1980s. Uh, handwriting experts currently, you know, today ones. And it matches up to the famous from hell letter that Jack the Ripper sent out. Uh, and last but not least, the killing stopped once he left London. <laughs> so there was no more murders. So Jack the Ripper was a Pittsburgh. A Yenzer. Possibly. Right? Possibly. Or lived for a brief time. So, you know, we we, we, we can adopt you as a Yenzer, right? <laughs> I don't know if we want that one. Yeah, good point. <laughs> good point. So, um... Another one we can go through. This is straight from the Post-Gazette. This is from a story in 1940 about what they called the Cleveland Torso Murderer. The Cleveland Torso Murderer. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to read you directly what it says from the paper. And May of 1940, Friday morning, an odd stench caught the attention of a worker in the sprawling yards of the Pittsburgh and Lake Erie Railroad near McKees Rocks. He notified his supervisor, who, along with another worker, climbed into an aging boxcar scheduled to be demolished. In the dark corners of the car, the two men made a gruesome discovery. A body carved into seven pieces. Wrapped in burlap and stuffed under a newspaper were a, a torso, two arms, two legs, and two thighs. The head missing. A search of the other cars in the yard turned up two more bodies, also headless. One had been carved, like the first, into seven pieces. The other was intact, except was missing the head. And the word Nazi crudely carved into his chest with a Z backwards. <laughs> right? Uh, investigators quickly determined the bodies were most likely of what newspaper people called the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run or the Cleveland Torso Murderer. However, the killer is officially credited with 12 murders in Cleveland, though some experts believe the number to be much, much higher. Bodies or better parts of bodies, have begun turning up in Cleveland as early as 1935. Victims were usually drifters or like the working poor, uh, which is why you see a lot of these people on old boxcars and in old shanty towns and places like that. Uh, victi uh, victims were either decapitated or dismembered. Sometimes even the torso was cut in half. And many even died as a result of the decapitation, meaning they were awake as this guy was in the eight, you know, 1940s cutting them apart. Uh, in Cleveland, kind of like an unease went over the town, like Summer of Sam, right, where you're afraid to kind of even go out at night because this 
weird serial killer might get you. And uh, serial killer was still not a real common terminology. People didn't know what that was. Uh, you had people that uh, that did um, explore, you know, and, and tried to had multiple crimes, but not necessarily like a mad, deranged serial killer. I mean, uh, this being an exception. Um, police raided all the shanty towns and searched every single building within 10 square miles in Cleveland looking for this guy. The, leading the investigation of this was none other than the, uh, the Cleveland Public Safety Director, Elliot Ness, <laughs> who made a name for himself heading the small group of agents later called the Untouchables. Inves- investigators said the murderer was skilled with a knife and had some knowledge of human anatomy. Perhaps he was a physician, a butcher, or a hunter. Detectives in Pittsburgh determined that the victims found the boxcars were between 30 to 40 years old, and only one was ever identified. A fingerprint match revealed the victim with the Nazi that was carved in him was a man named David Nicholson, who was a 30-year-old convicted burglar from Illinois, randomly on a boxcar from McKee's Rocks, missing his head. Uh, though officials in Pittsburgh and elsewhere believe the bodies found in McKee's Rocks were the work of the crazed butcher, an official link between the two was never made, and the killer's identity remains unsolved wow see this is why we can't have people from cleveland here (laughs) so yeah but how crazy is that like the the one thing i i note from that article i just read is that they don't mention the cleveland guy you know cutting the people up into seven pieces like it does here in pittsburgh that's weird that's unusual that is what you would call a legit serial killer you know doing something very much of a pattern and you could try to follow, you know, and, uh, yeah, things like that were just never solved. I mean, that's another thing about talking about some of these murders. Um, even though they're, you know, I'm, I'm a good Italian guy, right. And there's no such thing as the mafia, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's a, about 300, 400 unsolved murders that were committed by members of that group organization, uh, between 1920 and 1940 alone unsolved. People just found in ditches, in their cars, you know, beat up, strangled, all that type of stuff. It works. This is a real mob town. <laughs> um, I mean, can you imagine going back to that serial killer, mm-hmm. that happening today, what the media hysteria would be, 24-hour coverage, oh. the national media would be here? Well, there is talks, you know, of that, of a recent one, you know, I don't know if you've heard, but people have been trying to solve this mystery now of the, uh, the people who've gone missing and floating in the river um i don't know if there's a record i mean i want it'd be interesting to find out the actual record of how many people they found floating in the river at one time or another but um in a year there's at least 10 right per year well the figure the one is like young men yeah yeah that's that's true in the the north side they're part Uh you know at at a bar and then they're last, missing last place they're seen and then they're found floating the river you know days later um i have read things possibly the work of what people are they're not trying to put this you know word out because they don't want to scare people but there could be something at work oh great that's just yeah. what we did yeah exactly <laughs> so but that's uh that's true you have to look at the patterns right and there's nothing there's no real pattern other than the fact that the age of the group of men who were being you know kidnapped or disappeared those are you know, known. Uh, however, there's not some kind of distinguishing mark left by the uh, killer, like a like the Happy Face murderer or you know the Zodiac killer, or some, someone that's has the same kind of mentality. You know, usually wants to leave a mark, and because uh, they want it, it's like they taunt the police. Same with Jack the Ripper. 
you know, write a letter directly to the priests, you know, tease them to come, come and get Son of Sam did the same thing. So nothing like that has happened unless they haven't told us, you know, <laughs> um, it would be interesting to find out uh, because, use, you know, learning about what happened in the past, learning about these old mysterious cases of these strange uh, murders, you know, helps you become a good, a good detective, you know, where you could see patterns that happened in the past. You could see how to look for something that's currently going on. Hopefully use it to help someone and so more people don't get hurt. The third story here talks about what officials called in the newspapers, Bellevue's House of Mystery. Yeah, so how could you not click on that? <laughs> you don't want to see that in the newspapers. This is from uh, 1914. I'm, I'm handing you the actual headline from the newspaper that includes a photograph of the house that stood way on top of a hill, a cliffside in Bellevue, near the Bellevue Railroad Station. So it's no longer in existence, but at the bottom of this giant ravine uh, off of 65 is this Bellevue Station. Uh, friend of my, uh, a, friend, a friend of mine and I actually ventured down into the valley and see if we could find any remnants left from this house because the house has been torn down and uh, to see what happened. But here's just uh, what another uh, famous Pittsburgh Press newspaper um, columnist named Gertrude Gordon's, what she said about this is two paragraphs of uh, how she introduced this story. Uh, Set high on a hill, swept by winds approaching a monstrous pass, a pass, and curious steep stairways, almost encircled by forbidding-looking ravines, the House of Mystery in Bellevue, raided Thursday by the county detectives, and since the center of a sensational scandal is from outward appearance, a most fitting place for anything sinister to happen. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> so that's how she begins her article. And what she's talking about is it all stems from a thing, an event that happened years before 1914, uh, I think in 1910, a very famous heiress, uh, like a like a Paris Hilton type, you know, like a, a the perfume heiress. Her name was Dorothy Arnold from New York City, goes missing. Uh, she's set to be married and engaged, and she just disappears. Um, huge manhunt goes out. I mean, her father's a millionaire, you know, willing to pay anything to get her daughter back or make sure that she's okay or safe. She, you know, she never contacted anybody. Um, but where officials led her, or tracked her down, was coming here to Pittsburgh and specifically to Bellevue. And the last place she was seen was entering into this house of mystery. Okay. Um, now it took a while for that information to come out, uh, almost two and a half years, uh, because other people started going missing in a similar fashion as well. And the last place they were seen was entering into this Bellevue's house of mystery. By the time officials had enough circumstantial evidence to justify a raid of the place, okay, they uh, they started, how they got the information was a doctor in downtown Pittsburgh openly admitted that he's been sending some of his female patients to this man named Dr. Charles C. Meredith, who had a makeshift hospital in Bellevue that would perform illegal operations. Illegal. Illegal. Uh, mainly abortions, okay? And they, uh, just like now, it's not really you want something to kind of like post on Facebook, hey, you know, we're going to do this. It's something you kind of keep on the down low and keep it secret. And that's exactly what happened uh, to some of these women. And it was the perfect opportunity for someone with a twisted mind to take advantage of that situation. And that's what happened. So another case 
um, a woman named Myrtle Allison goes missing, and her brother goes out in this manhunt and starts putting in the papers that he'll pay anything to get her, his sister back and tracks her down, and he knew that she was coming here to Pittsburgh to get an operation done and knew that he was going to go to this house. So once they raided the house, uh, so they, they had enough evidence where they uh, were able to get a search warrant. They show up to the house. This nurse, a woman named Lucy Ors, also went by different aliases beforehand and was seen on the streets of Bellevue and in downtown Pittsburgh wearing different colors of hair, wigs, okay, uh, strange, unusual clothes that don't seem like something someone who was a simple nurse at a makeshift illegal hospital could afford. And once they busted into the house, which she boarded up and put chairs behind the doors and locked all the windows and, like, was the real deal, like, they had to bust through the door, discovered that all the wigs were made out of human hair. She had hundreds of dollars in jewelry, which she could not afford, and uh, many different shoes of various sizes, female shoes. And in the closet, in her bedroom, was the missing fur coat of Dorothy Arnold of New York. Oh. Yeah, they uh, they immediately put under arrest, and the doctor they caught the doctor. He was actually coming by taxi and, and arrived on the scene. You know, was immediately captured. Uh, once further investigation into this this house, the second third second and third floors were set up as makeshift hospital rooms. You know, full like medical tables and the works uh, with these like kind of makeshift bedrooms next door, and they were um, uh. The, the, the un, most unusual thing that the county detectives noted was that in the basement contained two very large furnaces, uh, a, a coal furnace and a wood furnace, big enough to fit a, a casket or a human body in, they claimed. Why you would need two furnaces is an interesting question. You know, you don't. And big ones, like, you know, Home Alone-style furnaces. <laughs> so, like, uh, it raised a lot of suspicion. Finally, they were able to track down this guy purchased many cemetery plots on Cemetery Lane in the North Hills with the specific intention of burying what he called mistakes or accidents uh, into the cemetery. And this Myrtle Allison, the brother of uh, the sister of this brother who was looking for him, um, was able to get the records and they, they, they dug up, they exhumed the body of this other person they, that was buried there, someone different name, but Charles Meredith owned the spot, the plot. And once they dug it up and they identified it, and it was this Myrtle Allison, this guy's sister. And uh, they confessed. And Charles Meredith uh, was, I mean, they were both taken to court, and he pled guilty uh, to try to save this, I guess, save face, to not, like, really start having all these other doctors uh, kind of call him out and tell him all, all these other patients that were sent to his house. But county detectives uh, determined that there was at least 40 girls that have gone missing that all had some kind of connection to this guy's house, whether they got out of the house or something happened. And he claimed that it was an accident, like it was an accident. She came there for the procedure and she bled out or something and died by accident. And he didn't, he covered it up basically by putting a phony name on death certificate and they buried her right away. It's crazy stuff. That's the shoes is the, yeah. One of the, and the wigs are like yeah, the, the creepy. Wigs. I can only imagine it's like something out of the movie psycho or something, you know, like some, you know, weird nurse walking around with other people's hair. Yeah, that happened right here in Pittsburgh. Now, if it's true, if they could prove, they never were able to prove it because, the you know, just a bunch of ashes inside the, the ovens, uh, the furnaces, including the coal one, which they specifically looked for. They did find pieces of stuff, but it wasn't enough to uh, put together. You had no idea who it was. They also said there was a stone well that they found there, uh, which they tried to, to drain it and see what was there, and they and they just 
couldn't hold them on anything more than that one they could sure you know 100% prove uh Lucy Orr's the nurse was gotten off on a misdemeanor for uh larceny for stealing the jewelry and stealing the coats and the stuff that's all she got she and she they did accuse her of actually performing some of the operate because like after you know the first one goes it's an accident right second one maybe it's an accident maybe it's not an accident third one all of a sudden now you see how you can make money and some people are that sick and twisted that they'll do that it was like this weird partnership that that, that's now that's not even 100 years ago so nobody knows this story for some reason people Right in Bellevue. Right in Bellevue. Right in, yeah. On the Ohio River Boulevard. Yeah. So, like, how's that How's that even happen? So, like, how do people forget, you know, that something like that major, you know, it, it happened right here in Allegheny County, right in our own hometown. Um, it's just insane to think that these uh, stories kind of con- continued, too. And um, our last story is is a tragic one. But it's a tale that must be told. I love telling the story because it's a uh, it's almost like a campfire story. Pull up and <laughs> submit your story to the. Uh, I feel like I'm on. Uh, Are, Are you afraid, afraid of the, of the dark? dark? <laughs> so, um, except unfortunately, it's real. Yeah, true stories. Christmas Eve, 1934. A woman named Catherine Shock is a nurse. Okay, who lives up in Dunkirk, New York, with her sister and her son named Jimmy. Uh experienced a tragedy. Jiminy, her son, mysteriously dies. Uh, she was He was sick for a while and uh, getting sicker. Some people thought that this Catherine Shock, who was a nurse, was slowly poisoning her son in an attempt to get back at her husband, who left her pretty recently, and trying to say, hey, come home. Jimmy's sick. Right. He needs you here. And meanwhile, she was the one actually making him sick. So Jimmy dies. Whether it's accidental or natural from whatever was happening, he passes away and she loses it. She, her sister who lives with her as well, she kills her in New York just because she thought she couldn't feel with the grief of losing her nephew. So she put her out of her misery. She uh, decided to go now visit her brother who lived in Perrysville, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and packed up a, a taxi cab full of presents because it's Christmas after all and travels all day long down from Dunkirk, New York, to Perrysville, PA. Arrives mid-afternoon. Her brother, his wife, and their five children all live in this small house at 103 Good Lane. Good Lane is still now called Good Lane. It's still there. It's behind Perrytown Tavern. And it was the very first house that was directly behind Perrytown Tavern in the North Hills. Um, Still standing up until about five years ago. And now it's just a big patch of grass. However, uh, when Catherine Shock arrived there, uh, she decided to give presents to all of her nieces and nephews who were there and uh, had a big Christmas dinner. And part of the the festivities involved ginger ale. You know, everyone loved ginger ale back then. It was like, oh, hey, let's go have some ginger ale. <laughs> so I still, I, ginger ale is my favorite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it sneaks up on you. It surprises you sometimes. Well, you'd be even more surprised if it was filled with cyanide. And that's exactly what she did. She put cyanide in everyone's ginger ale. And because ginger ale was such a big popular thing, the kids could have some too because it was like a big fancy thing. And even the baby. She put the ginger ale and cyanide in the, in the baby bottle. Most were feeling queasy or tired and just went to bed because it was before bedtime. As they slept, she went around and shot everyone in the head, including the baby. Three-year-old, a five-year-old, seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, herself, her brother, and his brother's wife. Two hours go by, 
okay, uh, three of them are still survive temporarily. Two of the children are still alive but not doing well. The mother, the, the sister-in-law, I guess you could say, her name was Catherine Dempsey, she uh, was able to, well, she woke up all of a sudden, even though being shot in the head and her neck, woke up, realized what happened, went running out into the street and uh, ran up to St. Teresa's Church there in Perrysville and got the pastor, and he's the one who came and made the discovery of all the people. And, that, and, she, and she and the other kids who were surviving stopped surviving, and uh, they passed away as well. Uh, nationwide news, cover of the newspaper, you know, nurse kills five and family and two more, including herself. You know, well, not including herself. Total of eight people. Um, huge news. Uh, massive funeral. All I actually own the photograph of the funeral uh, I bought from the Associated Press, um, which I maybe will post. Uh, but it's a uh, all buried in a row, uh, all in the little St. Teresa Cemetery, all with the same death date, Christmas Eve, 1934. Now just a name carved in granite and nothing more. Um, what makes that story a little unique is, um, you know, the Amityville Horror, right? Uh, five people were killed there. Mm-hmm. That's a seven. So, uh, the, uh, there's a list, uh, family side, they call it, you know, where they, someone does that to their own family and it's in the top 20 of all time. Uh, but a, a story that's has gone forgotten a lot of times because of the old timers and people don't just don't want to talk about it. Oh well, yeah. You know, it's still fresh in some people's memories and I, and, uh, you know, I'm also involved in North Hills history and Ross township, which is where Perrysville is. And I was invited to go to a dinner party with a surviving, so after this lady did survive, the one that was shot in the head and the neck, and she got remarried and had more kids, and all of them are still alive. And I had a dinner party with the survivors and another person who was a cousin who was there or, like, other times when this nurse used to come visit, like, during the summer. <laughs> so she told me about, like, what she remembered. It was only 1934. You know, they, if you're 85 or older, you could, you know, remember. And, uh, yeah, she told me, like, how what she was like in person and, and you know, how strange, it ha- you know, all this news happened and it was right down the street and, and just how terrible it was. You Did know, she and say how she was before she said she was, she was always really sweet and like just really kind and real sweet. Always gave, always brought presents and gifts and special candies and treats and things like this. And I guess this is how she tricked them, you know, come Christmas time. Well, that's still, I mean, you <laughs> bought gifts yeah, and did she know she was going to, yeah. kill the yeah. entire family or... she already killed her son and her sister uh, before this some people snap now it's not the only time there was another case that happened in in bellevue uh the same similar except it was five people in the family uh but it does happen and uh what makes it unique is it's the woman that committed all the murders so it doesn't happen every day you know that someone commits mass murder and it is a sad and tragic story but it, it, it's a you know, without talking about it you you might not know not ever know that these people even existed. I can understand why, if you were there or heard about it, you wouldn't want to talk about that right. because that you know it brings Obvious. up bad memories. But for a little bit later now, we're in 2019. Like you said, these are important stories, so we can at least think of these people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like. Yeah, you know, they, they because of the murders is why we're remembering them, you know, and, and that's sad, but it's uh, that's completely true. You know, I've walked, I grew up next near that cemetery. I walked through that all the time when I was a kid. Even I'm like, well, who are all these people that all have the same death date? You know, like what what's the story? Is there something I'm missing? Like yeah. what's going on? So it's a uh, 
Well, now when you go into, you know, if, if you go into that cemetery to visit a loved one, maybe you stop and reflect for just, uh, give them just a few seconds of your time. Yeah, that goes for all cemeteries. I mean, you go to the Allegheny Cemetery and see all the, the children and women who were you know, blow, literally blown up into pieces from the Allegheny Arsenal explosion. You go visit these that grave. Like, don't even know where half the people are. I mean, like, they found parts and trees. But to go there, understand, you know, that these people were people just like you and me and that they have a story to tell. And everyone has a story to tell. You, you don't want to be forgotten. Now, although you don't want to be remembered as notorious as Jack the Ripper, <laughs> but you also don't want to be forgotten. Well, that's a good place to end. And if yeah. you have any comments or questions for John, you can message him on the Odd, Mysterious, and Fascinating History of Pittsburgh's page on Facebook. That's facebook.com backslash oddpittsburgh. And you can also email him. Yeah, email me at oddpittsburgh at gmail.com. Instagram, Twitter, the likes. You want to know about more about one of these tales? You want to see some cool information that goes along with it? Uh, get in touch with me. You know, it's important to share and talk about that information. Kids you know? parties. Kids parties. Maybe not this topic. Exactly. But... Retirement homes. But in all seriousness, it's important to remember the dead. Don't forget that. And without further ado, that's it for Pit.